listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier. And Sarah Cho. And today's guest is a very enthusiastic Beckett's Baby supporter. Uh, he's probably been here from the beginning. <laughs> uh, he's a new play dramaturg and based in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Sean Leisher. Is that right? I should have asked. Lesher. Okay. Welcome, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on. This is such a pleasure. I, I'm a huge fan of both of your 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 plays, but also um, just a huge fan of this show. And you've had so many guests that I admire. So I feel like I'm in really good. Um, I'm in really good company here. Yay! We're so excited to get to talk to you. So in your bio. On New Play Exchange, New Play Exchange, uh, you mentioned you love new plays and you want the world to know about them. Now, I love to know what is it about new plays that you love. Oh, what is it about new plays that I love? Um, I just, I just like, um, hmm, um, I, I like how new plays uh, tend to speak to our times. Um, when we are, I mean. At one point, every play was a new play. Shakespeare plays at one point were new plays. Mm. Um, and um, for some reason, we got to a point where we stopped looking at new plays as the most important thing in our theater. We uh, we, we started to let nostalgia take over and... Um, producing a lot of the classics. Um, I see it a lot in my community where um, everybody's like, we're going to do the best play out there. So let's do Neil Simon or um, <laughs> uh, Glass Menagerie. Um, and I mean, not to say that, I mean, I, I'm not a huge Neil Simon fan, but I mean, especially Glass Menagerie, I mean, not to say that's not a good play. It's a fantastic play. Um, or, or, I mean, uh, um, Beckett, to you to be to use your namesake but um <laughs> people still do um back yeah. play and waiting for gato is a fantastic play but um when did we when did we get to a point where we said okay plays stop being good after this point if that makes sense right um yeah absolutely but, like, um, I mean, to kind of like sidetrack from the question, like, but do you, do you remember in your play education where it was just like, yeah, don't worry about new plays kind of. Hmm. It's interesting. I, you know, in college for the longest time, it was just classics and like Greek plays. And like, it was just until you get to like contemporary, which was like, it was kind of like the 70s to the 90s at that point, but it right. was just like... I, I see so many that, um, syllabuses for contemporary play classes where it's like the most recent play they'll do is Angels in America. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess what I love, now that I'm kind of like formulating, what I love about new plays is that a bunch of people who have been taught that plays stop being great after Angels in America, they kind of said no because we still have so much more to say and um, our times have changed and um, mm. the access to a variety of voices is growing. And yeah, I mean, uh, the easy answer to this question would just be, I love new plays because I love new plays, but I'm trying to um, <laughs> formulate my ideas a little bit better now. But so I guess like, yeah, it's just, 
um, what I love about new plays is that they're being made in the face of an industry that says we don't have room for new plays, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that there's a kind of um, defiance almost <laughs> in in celebrating new new plays. And so many of the plays that I read are like are in really great in in open defiant conversation with the classics, which I love. Um, I don't know if you've read um, John Proctor's The Villain by um, uh, Kimberly Bellflower, but um, uh, oh, that's I a, really want to read that. It's on my list. Oh, such a fantastic play. Um, but it's, it's just, it's one of those plays where somebody wanted to sit down and be like, okay, why are we teaching the crucible to high schoolers still as like the epitome of American drama? Um, I mean, I look, I also look at, um, Matt <laughs> Nawandu's, um, Passover being a, a direct conversation with waiting for Gatto or, um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I think, I think, Yes, having the classics has definitely helped us because we have a whole new generation of writers who are in conversation with the classics in the same way that Beckett and Sam Shepard were in conversation with the Greeks. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I think that's. Yeah. And the reason why I love new plays, too, and, and why I love new play exchange is because we have a, a broad array of voices that are so diverse and so different and. We just, um, yeah, no, no one play is like another. Um, yeah, you can't just box them all together the way that I feel like we could with Miller and O'Neill and Williams. But um, yeah, so that's why I like about new plays. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the rambling. <laughs> so I wonder, no, not at all. I wonder if we can um, rewind to your earliest memory and hear nice. a little bit about who you were before you discovered uh, the crazy world of theater. Now, is this a theater memory or just any memory? Oh, so before. No, theater, before yes. your your earliest memory as a, as a human being. Okay. Um, I was thinking about this and I remember being in kindergarten and my mom says that I used to tell my kindergarten teacher that I had, that I had a, um, uh, a science lab in my basement um, <laughs> and she made me go in one time and like um apologize because uh say sorry for lying, for lying. I, don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that part too much but i do remember i remember telling my teachers that um i was a big fan of the movie honey i shrunk the audience or honey i shrunk the kids that was the the audience was the disney show but honey i shrunk the kids um <laughs> And I remember telling my teacher that I had a shrink ray in my house. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, like that kind of like I've been thinking about that and I'm just like, wow, like that's a really weird thing to tell somebody. But it makes sense in what I what I turned into with with just this desire to tell stories Um and I just I just wonder too, being that teacher of just like, OK, what is this weird kid telling me? That he has a shrink ray in this house. Now I wonder. Do you do you think there was any part of you that maybe believed it, or were you like aware of lying at the time? Were you like, I'm going to make up this story so that my teacher thinks I'm really cool? I don't know if I knew it was like a direct lie because I also grew up um, ultra religious too. So I mean, 
um, like not too long after that was when I started to be like, okay, I can never tell any untruth or I will burn in hell forever. So, um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, um, so I think at that point it was more that I was just trying to tell a good story. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting with like, remember, uh, with my mom telling me like, Oh, I made you go back and apologize and everything. And I feel like that started me on a track of like, I can never tell any miss any falsehood ever again. <laughs> yeah. As long as I live. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it like, I like that story specifically because I'm like, okay, I saw a movie. I liked that movie and I just wanted to, to tell that story. <laughs> um, <I put laughs> yeah. myself in that story in a way. So how did you get first get into theater? Um, I mean, I grew up in a house of theater lovers. Um, my mom grew up uh, with um, Rodgers and Hammerstein albums as playing all the time as a kid. So she like passed that um, love of musical theater onto us. I mean, I remember, I mean, obviously like I grew up in like the golden age of the, the second golden age of the Disney film. So um one of my earliest, I mean, this is another early memory. I wish I would have used this one instead, but. Um, <laughs> you can say it one. now. You can tell us it now. Yeah, I'll tell you now. Um, so one of the, one of my first, one of my earliest memories um, also was um, seeing a movie for the first time. And I went to see The Little Mermaid and um, just loving that film, but being terrified of Ursula. So, I mean, I, I grew up as a kid in like that stream of Disney movies, which is, um um little mermaid being the beast aladdin and um the the mencken and howard ashman um films mm -hmm. and then like growing up like later like knowing that they were like musical theater composers i'm like okay that makes sense um but then also like well while also watching disney films i was also um watching movies like the king and i and oliver and um annie and um stuff like that. So, I mean, I grew up, um, loving musical theater. Um, and I did, I did a couple of school, um, church plays. Um, I didn't really act in anything until I was a senior in high school, which is like my year that like, I wanted to do everything in high school, um, except sports. I was never a sports kid, but, um, um, so I, I did do my senior year of high school. I did do, um, the fall play, which was, you can't take it with you. And the spring musical, which was a musical called Little Abner, um, those will just be seared in my mind forever, even though they were both not good. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, I like doing shows and I liked theater. Um, but when it was time to figure out what I wanted to major in in college, I didn't have the language to be like, um, okay, what does uh what what's a job in theater that's not singing dancer or acting because i wasn't good at any of those things um but i did like movies and i knew who steven spielberg was so i'm like okay well maybe i'll go to school and be a film major um mm. but while i went to while i went to college i went to penn state university to study film um and i took all these film classes and we watched all these movies and I wrote screenplays and everything. Um, but while I was doing that, I was, I was almost being like a secret 
theater lover because I would like go to the library and I read lots of Lynn Nottage and Susan Lloyd Parks and Martin McDonough and Tracy Letts. And um, whenever I was home on break, I would like, um, I'm all, I only live about two hours away from Manhattan. So whenever I was home on break, I would go to um, uh, see plays, which um, um, yeah, around, so, I mean, around that time I was going in, I, I remember seeing In the Heights and um, uh, the Broadway, the Broadway debut of Martin McDonough's The Pillow Man, which um, completely changed the way I thought theater could be done. I like, I just remember seeing that production and just being terrified and like, oh, wow, theater can be really scary. Um, yeah. And- oh, my gosh. I had the same experience with The Pillow Man. I saw, a, you know, a production of it at my college, but mm-hmm. it uh, wow that yeah, yeah that play really changed my whole understanding of what theater could do mm-hmm. oh definitely and like I mean I haven't seen any other McDonough plays but I remember reading um uh the beauty queen of Linane and um um I mean spoiler for this play but um at the end when like the her the back of her head's blown out pretty much and i'm like wow that's like plays could be this like bloody and gory too and um yeah <laughs> am i re- I, I hope i'm remembering that play right if not yeah i i've actually never i've never read that one or seen yeah, it i'm pretty sure that's the one where like um at the end like the mother or the daughter or one of the characters like has like her head's like blown out at the end of it um but um yeah, so I mean, I graduated with a film degree, um, but I just, I just, film just wasn't my passion. And um, um, around that time of when I graduated, my mom and my cousin started a theater program at my old middle school. And I eventually took that over and I spent four years directing um, middle school musicals, which would be a surprise to anyone that knows how much I love new work and especially straight plays. But yeah, I, I directed um, Susical and Hello Dolly and um, the little uh, Disney's The Little Mermaid with a bunch of kids. <laughs> um, but throughout mm-hmm. that whole time, I was also very becoming very very passionate about um, um, diversity and um, accessibility um, in place and and growing the diversity of voices, especially in the new play world, because this was around the time that, um, I don't know if you remember, there was that Washington DC, um, basically summit meeting between a group of, um, Oh yes. uh, (laughs) Directors. And they asked one of them basically saying like, why don't you produce more work by women? And the response was, well, there's not enough plays, good plays in the pipeline. Um, And that directly inspired the Kilroy's, which, um, I became a huge early fan of, um, uh, shout out to, um, former Kilroy Taranya Sriracha, who's has her third season of Vita coming out tonight. So just shout out to that. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, but, um, um, I started learning about all these different writers on this list and, um, reaching out to them actually. And, um, I, I befriended a, a, a podcast a podcaster slash actor slash playwright. His name was Bernardo Cubria. Um, he was in New York at the time. Now he's out in LA doing, doing the thing, but he ran a, he ran a podcast um, that was focused on uh, 
Latinx voices in uh, theater. And I learned that was my basically my crash course in Latinx theater and um, in New York and elsewhere. And he introduced me to so many great people. Um, um, but yeah, but that's how I learned. About, that's how I learned about Intar and um, um, brilliant folks like Stephanie Barra and um, uh, J. Julian Christopher and um, I mean, Tanya Saracho and Hilary Bettis. And so it was like, while I was, while I was dealing with these 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds, um, doing songs and dances, I was also being really passionate online about educating myself as a cis, um, straight white man about what was going, like what was going on and in the theater world and what were the movements being done to make sure that the new play scene wasn't looking exactly weren't what was uh, the new plays coming out weren't just written by folks who looked like me. Um, and this was also around the time that um, new play exchange came out. And um, that was a huge resource. Cause like I could go to the Gilroy's list and see who was on it, or I could talk to Bernardo and say, okay, who's like your favorite Latinx playwright right now. And then I would go and look that up on new play exchange. Um, and then and then eventually, after four years, I decided to quit the the middle school um, in large part because I I had some mental health um, things that needed to be taken taken care of. And when you're, uh, when you're working in a school theater program, um, that's not the best place to um, focus on your mental health. Um, I needed to really um, take a break from that. And uh, the plan was to come back after a year away, but um, I decided. Then, like now, I was my my passions were lying elsewhere. My passions were in new work. My passions were in being an advocate for um, new voices. And it, theater in my area was very was very um, white and conservative. It was a lot of like, um, I mean, not conservative in terms of the content because they were still do they were doing like Tony Kushner and um, 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 early Mammoth stuff. Um, but they were, I was looking at the theaters in my area and a lot of them were community theaters. And I was like, I, I was like looking at the stuff they were doing and being like, oh, these are like all seasons by, uh, by white men. And I remember like putting together like a little, I, I put together like percentages and I, I made like charts and like, Hey, like, and I, I remember emailing the artistic directors at these theaters and being like, um, Hey, so you're only doing play, seasons of plays by white men. Um, and, and I remember like being optimistic that they would like reach back at me and say like, Oh yeah, Sean, like we should talk about this. We should figure this out. And, um, that was not the response I got. Um, the response I was getting was very much like, shut the hell up. You don't know anything about theater. Um, if you don't like it, start your own company, which I eventually did uh, a few years later. I started my own company with a couple friends of mine. Um, and we're still, we're still in operation. We're, we're just figuring out what we want to be. We, uh, um, so yeah, it was just, um, I mean, those emails that I sent out to the artistic directors that were just like, I was just being hit with white fragility so much. Um, those like really sparked to me a passion for rabble rousing basically and making noise in my mm. community. Um, and I just knew that 
being a middle school theater director wasn't the path for that. Um, but then I remember reaching out to people on the internet and just basically being like, okay, well, I don't want to direct anymore. Um, so I like reading plays, talking about plays, talking to playwrights, connecting playwrights with directors. What does that mean? Um, a lot of people brought up producer, uh, produce, uh, like you could be a producer, but um, people also brought up the idea of dramaturgy, which I'm like, okay, well, I, I've heard of dramaturgy. I remember reading a, a directing book saying where the guy said that uh, if you need a dramaturg on your play, then you're not a good director because a director should always be their own dramaturg. <laughs> Um, I'm like, oh my god yeah i really took that to heart um i forget what the book's called but yeah it was very much just like oh if you're a drama yeah. and i think they were more focused on like research-based dramaturgy um but i started discovering more about the idea of a new play dramaturg which is basically like an advocate for a play and um i love this idea of shepherding new work and like basically getting a first draft and seeing what it could be instead of what it was. Um, and I like the idea of, I could work on various projects at once. Um, I didn't have to work on one show for months at a time. I could, I could just work on somebody's draft and then move on to something else. And, and I like the idea that when I felt like, my skills and talents could not be of service anymore to a play. I can kind of like pass it along to somebody who I knew would do great things with it. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I guess that, that catches you up to where I'm at right now in terms of my growth from just a musical theater loving kid to a musical theater director now to a new play dramaturg um, who still loves musical yeah, theater. That's but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that's that's incredible. Um, I love to just shift gears about new play exchange. One of the things I noticed on your profile was how often you review. It's I think it's like at least once a day. I think. Yes, I try and read um one play a day, especially now in quarantine, yeah. just to keep that muscle going. Yeah, I try and read at least one mm-hmm. play a day, and um, if I did get it from New Play Exchange, I try and recommend it, um, even if it's not like. Yeah, because I mean, they, those those recommendations do help. Um, I've I've noticed that because I have had people reach out to me and be like, "Hey, I love this play, and I would not have heard about it unless I saw your recommendation mm-hmm. for it." And I mean, I'm not I'm not being like, "Oh, wow, my recommendations." Yes, I'm so glad. Pe- like, I'm I'm glad people are reading my friends. Oh, very often they're my uh, they're friends of mine, and I'm like, "Oh, they're reading my friends' plays. That's so amazing." Yeah. So, do so. Are you seeking out plays? Um, so. That people you know, do you use a search engine at all? Sometimes I look at that, you know, on the bottom um, has like the index or yes. what's being current written. Like right now, it's like pandemic and viruses <laughs> or something. <laughs> in mm-hmm. So like sometimes I click on that and I'll see what's that. But do you explore that as well when you're looking for plays? Um, I have before, um, but I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah and especially, especially, um, uh, my little sister goes to a, a performing arts high school right now, and they're te- I'm, I'm good friends with her teachers there. And I'm always like, I'm, I use those search engines more for like, okay, what would be good for for these kids? Um, um, so I type in like topics that might be of interest of them to them and everything because I mean, the, the teachers are very interested in in doing um, bringing new work to their students and the school. Um, 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 
they're actually a couple of years ago they did she kills monsters the first one in my area to do that play and i was just blown away by i'm like yes high schools are doing this but um but yeah they've been really receptive to like just hearing my recommendations and stuff so i'll use that for if i'm if i'm looking for a play for like a specific purpose i'll tend to use that search engine but when i on my daily read on my my daily reading most of my plays either come from writers that i'm already a fan of or um I mean, there's so many lists out there. I mean, the the Playwrights Foundation um, finalist list just came out and I'm just like, oh, here's like another bunch of plays for me to put on my list. Or, I mean, I'm still going, I'm still going through plays that were on last year's Killers list or last year's um, wow. uh, the semifinalist for the O'Neill Prize. Um, but I'll, I will also look around for um, um, what, what different theaters are doing around the country and um, I'm honestly, I think the, the reason I, I heard about Beckett's babies is because, um, somebody I knew down in Florida was doing Sam's play down there. Um, and I'm like, this play sounds crazy. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's um, so cool. my, my friend Jen Diaz was in your, was in your play. Yeah. I love her. She's so talented. Oh, so talented. And like, it's, it's just incredible because like, like, yes, yeah, like she's from an area of the country where like you wouldn't really expect new place to be, but like that's specifically what she works on. Um, um, besides like working at Disney world, she's, she also acts in new plays. Um, I know she was planning on coming up to New York, so I hope that still happens, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll like, I'll always keep in touch and like see what other, yeah. What other play plays are, um, companies are doing or um i've started like being a reader for different companies and i'll like if i if there's a playwright that i like i'm like okay i'll make sure i follow their new play exchange and um check out what they have and everything but yeah but for the most part a lot of because new play exchange can be very overwhelming if you don't know what to look for um yeah Mm. so i mean um yeah my my basics are all those lists that come out um, like I said, like the Playwrights Foundation or the Kilroy's or the O'Neill list or, um, the Relentless Prize, the, uh, yeah, the Relentless Award. Um, or it's just, I mean, I've, I've just created a great relationship with so many playwrights over the years that I feel like, okay, whatever, whatever this one's doing, I want to read. So that's a lot of it. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, as somebody who reads so many new plays all the time, is there something you can point to or maybe a couple of things you can point to that um, make you excited about a play? Like, is there anything that happens in the first, I don't know, five to ten pages of a play that that makes you say, oh, this is going to be something really cool? Um I'm, I guess I'm particularly wondering on behalf of people who are just getting into dramaturgy or people who are just getting into playwriting. Um, like what, what do you, what, what are the things that, that excite you in a new play? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm different than a lot of dramaturgs who read a lot. And the fact like a lot of them are like, well, if it doesn't hook me in the first five pages, then I'm not going to keep reading it. I'm like, I, I'm always going to stick with a play just because I've, I've read and I've seen enough plays to know that like, even if it doesn't hook me right away, 
um, the payoff still could be huge. Um, if mm, yeah, um, that's so true. Yeah. But I mean, the, the plays that really excite me are plays that, um, first of all, put people on stage that I normally don't see on stage. Um, and that's not, that's not just to say, um, um, people of color or, 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 or people from other, um, marginalized groups, but it's also, um, I mean, like one of my absolute favorite plays that I saw last year was, um, Heroes of the Fourth Turning by Will Arbery. Um, and that play is about five white people, but they're five, um, conservatives and it's a play that gives them voice and helps people understand where they're coming from in a way um and i don't it's it's definitely like one of those plays that really like basically sticks the middle finger up to any to like the whole idea of preaching to the choir and um Mm -hmm. um like and which is i mean it's also i mean it's also a like because I do know people that don't like that play and specifically because they, they humanize um, like really prejudiced um, and ugly, ugly, the ugly side of conservatism. But, um, but I mean, for people like me who grew up, who grew up around these people, um, it was, it was interesting to see that on stage and really sit with that. Um so yeah, people um plays that that really introduce worlds that I don't and and plays that introduce those worlds in ways that are really that really don't fall into the typical idea of them. Uh, if that um like mm-hmm. I mean I'm not I'm not interested or like the like I, I'm not interested in new plays that that focus on um, if they're about um, um, the black community and they focus just on um, like tragedy porn, if that makes sense. Um, oh, what was that play that was on Broadway a couple of years ago that was written by, was it American Son? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, anyway, that was a play that was written by um, a white guy and it was just, it was, I mean, I never read it and I didn't see it, but I just, a lot of people that I know were just like, they really oh, just. I think I know you're talking about. I think I, which, I think I know which play you're talking about. I'm trying to yeah. remember, but it was like a couple of years ago. I remember the the conversations around. Oh yeah, right. Um, uh, it sounds to me that the plays that that excite you is maybe it sort of challenges the status quo, kind right, of. Exactly. Or, yes. They challenge the status yeah. quo. They really they they also really play with tropes too, and just really try and subvert them. Um. um yeah, there's a, uh, I mean, shout out to a good friend of mine, but um, my friend Maya McDonald, she wrote a play called Brunch. Um, and it's about a group of, it's about a group of female friends and um, how each of them kind of has their own type and their own place in their friendship and everything. But it's it's really about them subvert, subverting the idea of who, of who they are and the and the place that society and mainly the patriarchy has placed on them and all, and, um, mm. and who they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to dream of being. Um, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. And I love, I love plays that, um, uh, subvert the, the, the well-worn, um, 
genres of plays too, both in like how their stories are told, but also like who's on, who's like, who is in these plays. Um, like I love um, oh, uh, Taylor Max play here, which is like a great living room drama um, that happens to have a, a, a trans person in it. Or um, have you ever, have you ever read or seen um, Leonanica Winkler's um, Two Mile Hollow? No. Oh my gosh. That is an amazing play. So basically um, Leah wrote a play. She, she started seeing this trend of like, why are, why are theaters doing all of these plays basically about, she called them the white people by the water play. Um, they were just about <laughs> white people like at, a, at like a lake house or something like that. So she wrote her own version. <laughs> um, but all of the white people are supposed to be played by people of color. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful play. I hope it gets done in a lot of places. Um, I look at that and I look at um, Nelson Diaz Marcano, who wrote this really great play called um, World Classic, which is basically like he's reading Miller and he's reading O'Neill and saying like, I love these plays, but where's the version um, for, for the Puerto Rican community? Um, so he wrote that. Um, also, I, I love adaptations of work too. Um, um right now I'm, I'm really on a Chekhov kick so i'm like I'm, I'm constantly searching for plays that are adaptations of Chekhov um um that are not stupid fucking bird which i remember loving at first but now <laughs> I'm like, oh like is it really that good um yeah um okay yeah i mean i could just i could just go on and tell you about all the plays that i love but I, I mean, hope that gives you an idea. Yeah, of like, just like hearing you, you're yeah. I mean, like just hearing you talk, I'm like, wow, you're just like wealth of information. Like how many plays you've read, and like there's just so that's it's just incredible. Like I, I'm like that's where I would like to be someday. It's just like be able to know all these plays and and. But you do the you hard know. part, Sarah. You you write them. I just have to read them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder before I move into glistens, um, Sean. I wonder if you could. This here's a big question for you. Um, what what's your take on what it means to be an artist in the 21st century? In the 21st century or right now? Yeah. Well, and also I guess during the pandemic, uh, you can you can interpret that as broadly or as narrowly as you like. Well, I'm going to do the broad sense first, real quick. Um, being an artist in the, of the 21st century. Um, Yes, there are still quote unquote gatekeepers and though that and the those that want to tell people that you need to have this piece of paper to be an artist or you need to be work for this institution to be an artist. But I think in the 21st century, and especially with how much we are connected through social media and the internet, um, and the fact that I can have conversations and dramaturgical meetings with playwrights over FaceTime or Zoom or, and stuff like that. Um, I think being an artist in the 21st century is, is just such a wide idea. And um, I think anybody, anybody who has a creative spirit in them is an artist. Um, I don't think anymore it's, it's what you do or where you studied or um, even I mean, a lot of times it's 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 just like, well, what do you do for money? Um, if you're not making money as an artist, you're um, you're 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 not an artist. Because, like, honestly, like, I've I've made very little money as a dramaturg so far. Um, 
but I still consider myself a dramaturg and I'm still plugging along and, and doing what I can. And hopefully one day it will be how I, how I make my living. But, um, I think right now in the 21st century, it's, um, we've done a really good job at like breaking down all of those barriers to what it means to be an artist. And, um, we're just doing it. Um, and that really, that really translate well into the time we're at right now because the institutions are closed. Um, I just listened to a great interview with, um, Oscar Eustace yesterday and, um, just in the past week or so, he made the call that um, for like the first time in like 60 something years or something, um, the public, th- Oscar Eustace, who runs the public theater currently, he made the announcement that for like the first time in like 60 something years, or maybe not that long, I think, I think it's pretty long, but they're not, New York is not going to have Shakespeare in the park. Um, it's so sad. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like at this time, like the answer, like there is nothing open. So we have to basically go to the Wild West, which is the social media, the social media internet landscape, and make the art there. And I'm just seeing so many people mm-hmm. that are just basically like, okay, I don't need these big theaters anymore, or I don't need um, the okay from artistic directors. If I have an internet connection and and the drive, I can make theater on my computer. Um, and yes, I know it's not, it's, it's not theater. It's, it's, it's not theater in the sense that it truly is. I understand that, but we are making do with, with what we have right now. Um, this time has definitely reminded me a lot of, um, one of my favorite plays, Mr. Burns. Um, and just yeah, about, totally. like, how, yeah, like how are things going to adapt and how are they going to evolve? And I mean, I, I, I pray that we, we don't, we don't get to a point where this is just what we consider theater because I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we need to get to get back together again, but I mean, it's just been so heartening to see artists be like, okay, yes, zoom calls are not theater, but we're going to make, we're going to do the best we can and make do with what we have right now. Um, so yeah, theater, I mean, theaters right now are basically my heroes and, um, the artists right now are what's are really what the artists and the first responders and the people in the hospitals and the grocery workers and the, 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 the delivery workers and the people working for Amazon, like they are going to get us through this. Um, and I really hope that when the institutions open, these, these producers and the people who run these institutions realize the contributions that these artists made for nothing. And yeah, and they're, protect, and they're protected uh, yeah, for absolutely. when the next, when the next pandemic eventually comes, they're protected because it breaks my heart to hear. I mean, it's obviously really encouraging to hear how well some people are protected, but I mean, especially like my friends in Philadelphia, it breaks my heart hearing so many of them saying like, yeah, I got the call from the artistic director that my show is canceled and they will not be honoring anything, any part of my contract. Um, wow. And it's like, yeah. and I mean, I know these companies need to stay afloat too, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's what's keeping them afloat are the artists. And it just breaks my heart that they're not being, they're not being treated as such. Yeah, I know that got dark. But... 
<laughs> no, I mean, I this week, I it just hit me like like it took me a while, but it finally hit me that that I was like, oh wow, I can't really do comedy the way I used to do comedy before. Like I can't meet with my sketch team on a regular and like be together and like you know put things up like it's like I honestly don't even know when this is when everything reopens like if that's gonna exist again if our theaters still be open because Mm -hmm. but I was just like wow it just it just hit me that I'm like that our what we know as normal isn't gonna be the same and Mm -hmm things yeah it's right yeah and i and i just i'm just curious who's gonna survive this and i mean looking at new york i mean something that i was just realizing or uh i was like reading something or listening to something they were just talking about like especially with broadway it's such a huge tourist industry right now so i mean it's not just like oh when people are okay to come out of their houses in new york everybody's gonna go to broadway it's like no we need to get people to be okay with visiting new york um right so it's like right i mean yeah when we can open theaters is broadway gonna be the same or i mean is this gonna be a great time for the off off broadway scene to really um is that gonna be the place where people are going um just because their capacities are smaller and um more accessible if that makes sense Right. I don't know. I mean, I just, I just have the sense that people are not going to be comfortable sitting close to strangers for two hours for a long time, you know? And I mean, you look at those Broadway theaters. And so I wonder too, well, I just wonder if there are other models Mm -hmm. for doing live performance um, that can exist in the real world, i.e. not on screens but that that looked different from a traditional theater like right. you know i just started to think about what would it look like to do a socially distanced play mm-hmm. outside in a big park where everybody was standing 20 feet away from each other you right. know what and i mean what if, what if yeah. like, doing work that's not just shakespeare outside in the parks exactly like, yeah what exactly do, what if we do new plays out in the parks um but i also look at a lot about the I mean, with in terms of like Broadway, like you can't really do much unless you like block off seats, kind of thing. But I mean, but what if like right, a lot of these right. like off off Broadway spaces, like they have the folding chairs, so like they're kind of like in a in yeah. a better position could be like okay, like we can space out our seats at least. Yeah. Right. I just had this thought: like, can you imagine these like big ensemble uh, plays where all the actors are like, okay, all of you are going to quarantine together for two weeks so you guys can kiss. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine like that? I just had this thought of like. <laughs> right. I mean, like doing yeah. plays like, 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 like County, which require like over like six characters or something like that. Like, are those plays going to be very rare? Uh, what? My mind's going to think about. I know. It's a lot to think about. It's yeah. a lot. But I mean, if you're interested in this, I definitely recommend. Um, um, there's a deadline article that interviewed Charlotte St. Martin, who's the president of the Broadway League. And it was just basically talking about like how, like what Broadway could look like or when it will come back. And like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, they don't know. And even when, even when Cuomo tells New York that they can come back, I mean, so many of these Broadway shows, including um, my, my most anticipated 
production of the season, which was my how I learned to drive, finally being on Broadway, which I'm glad that there's still I know. God, it's just yeah. yeah, I'm actually in a book club with Alyssa May Gold, who um is is in that play, and I got to speak with her a little bit about it. So um and they were just they were just in three weeks of rehearsal. So so many of these plays, when they do come back, they gotta they gotta just get back into the rehearsal room. And I think a lot of producers are yeah. going to be finish about like, well, what if there's a what if there's a another wave? So like, are we just going to open a a musical for three weeks just to close again? Yeah. Um, I mean, so far only two plays on Broadway have actually been canceled, which were uh, the Hangman that was coming from London, the Martin McDonough play, and the other one that's not going to come back is um, the Laurie Metcalf, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are still kind of like hoping that they can get back on stage. Yeah. <sighs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just, I'm always sighing <laughs> on the show now. I'm just uh, constantly sighing. Oh my God. Well, Sean, thank you so much for uh, just being with us and talking. And it was awesome to hear your thoughts on theater. It's incredible. Yeah. I hope, I hope this ends up being a good episode for you. <laughs> yeah. You've given us so much to think about. Oh yeah, and it's really inspiring. Um, just how many plays you read. I think I'm definitely going to try to take a page out of that book. I, I mean, for for writers like you, I would just more say like, just write them so I can read them. Just write plays, more plays so I can read them. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, I mean, if there's just so much great work out there that I just wish more people would read. And like I said, the Playwrights Foundation just released their list of finalists, and it was amazing to see so many good friends of mine on that list. Um, but also just like, oh, I haven't read this play yet. I haven't read that play. Well, shall we move into Glistens? Yeah, my favorite part. <laughs> Sarah, do you want to start? What's your Glisten? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, speaking of like virtual uh, forums and like things that are happening, artists are doing. So one of my favorite musicians uh, is Jack Johnson. And yesterday he did like a three hour music festival on, on Twitch. And it was, he does it every year. Apparently I didn't know this and I'm his huge fan. Like I didn't know this, that he has like a foundation that's all about um, advocating for like, stop using single use plastics and like growing your own food and gardening and things like that for kids, young uh, kids in Hawaii. And Mm -hmm. he put this music festival and, you know, because of the, pandemic um he puts it all online and it was just like all these artists in their homes just singing like all these like musicians singing their songs and it's like and he even tried to coordinate like a pre-recorded um duets with other singers like it really felt like i've i've always wanted to see jack johnson perform like i just like because i just don't know when he does he's so like he's like a he's so like a unicorn on the web. Like, I don't know what he's doing or like, no one, like I can't follow him. Um, but he like put this out and then it was three hours. I, that's, that was just my Saturday afternoon. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm just hearing his music and hearing all these musicians. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, even though this episode will be released on a later date, but today is my fiance's birthday, and <laughs> special shout out to him. He doesn't happy listen birthday, to the show. He doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> but special. He doesn't listen to this great show. <laughs> he he's. He, well, he gets to hear your he side of it from the other room. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, what? 
just he just hears me talking <laughs> to myself like always um but yeah so this is his birthday I woke up early made him pancakes and breakfast and it was great um yeah that's my glisten that's so sweet um well sean what's your glisten um well i mean my big one is just all the great work being done out there by theater artists um just follow my instagram if you want to learn more about them um uh, so trying to think uh theater without theater is a really great one contagious closet dramas mm. um, normal Ave, which is one of my favorite um theater companies in new york they do these things called corn streams and i'm also loving so many of these theaters that are just like accepting the limitations of zoom and they're just like we're not going to pretend that um, we're doing a real play. So let's just do a play where Zoom figures into it really largely. Or I just watched one last night, actually, by um, by Beth. Um, First Floor Theater in Chicago did a, did a showed a, a, a new piece written by one of your former guests, Beth Highland, who is a friend and uh, a friend of mine and one of my favorite playwrights. Um, and they, it, the play was done basically completely over Marco Polo. Um, cool. so that was, that was wonderful. And I'm, I'm really excited for a lot of these. Um, I already got my, my, um, my link to see, um, the Dr. Bronner play, um, that Beth talked about, yes. I think on, on the podcast. So I'm watching that next Friday. So I'm very excited for that. So yeah, I'm just really encouraged by all the people that are still making theater right now. And those are a few of my favorites, but yeah, follow me at, at Sean Turgy, um, to learn more, but, um, Real quick, um, another big listen of mine. Sarah, you're a basketball fan, right? No. <laughs> well, I mean, fan. yes. I mean, no, I'm not a. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not a huge. But my my family is for sure. I come from a very big like basketball family. Okay, I thought um, I remember you talking a lot about Kobe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, growing up in LA, he was just like a huge. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, basketball. I did play that. You know what? I don't know. But I, I have played basketball too. But well, anyway, <laughs> I was on a three-on-three three team, and yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was never a huge big sports fan, but I loved the drama of sports, and I loved the characters mm. in sports. Um, and growing up in the '90s, even though I did not live in Chicago at all, you could not ignore the magic of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So my glisten is I, I just watched last night the first two episodes of this ESPN 10-part series called The Last Dance, which was about mm. the final year of like Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen and all those guys being together on the Chicago Bulls. And oh my gosh, like it's oh, just, it's just yeah. such a compelling series and um, the drama and it is so and like yeah there's just like characters there's like villains and there's heroes and I mean and then just watching footage of Michael Jordan just flying basically flying um so yeah I'm, I'm giving mm. a listen that's that's a huge listen of mine just because like I said even if you don't like sports which like I said I'm not a sports person but um yeah there's just so much drama and great storytelling in that in that series so I recommend that Cool. Is it on Hulu? Did you say it was on Hulu? Or? Um, it's actually on the ESPN app. Um, oh, ESPN. Oh, yes. okay. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Space Jam. Yes. <laughs> huge fan of Space Jam. I've been wanting to rewatch that, actually, and see. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, listeners, check it out. 
Um, okay, my glisten is, I was going to talk about a book, but then I stumbled upon the amazing video of Kamala Harris teaching Senator Mark Warner how to make a proper sandwich because he posted this video of taking two slices of white bread and putting like heaps of mayonnaise on it and then like a little bit of tuna straight out of the can and then microwaving it. <laughs> and oh, and also he put two slices of American cheese. Um yeah, this is what we're all reduced to in quarantine, I guess. I don't know why I watched that, but I did. And then <laughs> the internet was horrified and then Kamala Harris um showed him over zoom or some other platform how to make a real tuna melt and it's amazing didn't something like that happen to like cynthia nixon when she was running for governor of new york probably i don't know like, was like something, like, <laughs> was like something like she ordered like the wrong kind of bagel or it was, yeah. oh yes yes i remember that now yeah i think it was she got like like a raisin bagel know, with lox on a yeah. cinnamon raisin bagel. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was horrified. Yeah. That's so funny. Like, this is like people... a new low. This is a new low. Um, it's so weird. Yeah. Microwaving a sandwich. Just don't I, do it. Yeah. Do I, I, it. I very much agree with that. But I'm also like nervous. That, like if I ever like run for office or anything, I, I don't think I'll run for <laughs> like, like, like if I run for office, like who's going to like find out what weird thing I eat that people are going to be like. True. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that's if that's the least thing you're getting dragged for, I guess that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. It was a great conversation. Uh, and listeners, if you enjoyed this, make sure to share, subscribe, but also check out Sean. Like, go to a new place, Jane. Look at all the plays that he's rating because it's remarkable. <laughs> like, yeah. to see all his recommendations. Like, it really is. Yeah, read the, read the recommendations and, and follow these writers because they're really they're really doing killer work out there. And thanks for being such a great supporter of new work, Sean. I mean, I I think I speak for many playwrights when I say um, it's just it's so inspiring to see somebody enthusiastically reading and recommending new plays. So thank I you. I appreciate that very much. And I, we're going to get to that day where it will all be all new work all the time.